Hey, welcome to another podcast. Matter of fact, this is the last podcast in our Shame Meter series, Oscar-nominated films for Best Pictures. Uh, this one will look at the last two that we haven't considered yet, The Green Book and Black Klansman. Very similar and very different. I'm Dr. Bill Sendyard. I'm the keeper of the aforementioned Shame Meter. What are we hoping to accomplish here? Well, the Gospel Rant, particularly about shame is trying to shake things up in the nation and in evangelicalism in particular, churches. Enough of the tepid Christianese that plays less and less well with those who huddle inside our narrowly framed walls. Uh, The gospel is bigger than that. It's huge. It's powerful, more meaningful, changes more lives than we know. And it's more than just a heaven that all Jesus followers get to go to in the by and by. Jesus' death 2,000 years ago means more than that for Christians, for Jesus' followers. And the difference should be noticeable. Not perfect, that's heaven, but noticeable. And one of the areas that the gospel should be making an observable dent in our lives is in our shame. Shame is epidemic in the United States. It's begun its disintegrating work in our families, our politics, our relationships, our race relations, Issues related to sex and sexuality, our religion, right? Church itself, our relationship with God, and of course, our media. All right, let's get started. What is shame? Well, listen to Kurt Thompson from his helpful book, The Soul of Shame. Quote, researchers have described shame as a feeling that is deeply associated with a person's sense of self, apart from any interactions with others. Guilt, on the other hand, emerges as a result of something I've done that negatively affects someone else. Guilt is something I feel because I've done something bad. Shame is something I feel because I am bad. In fact, when in its grip, it is quite difficult for us to separate ourself from the shame that we are feeling. Shame separates me from others. As my awareness of what I feel is virtually consumed with my own internal sensations. One way to think of this is that we can experience shame without guilt, but are are unlikely to experience guilt without shame, close quote. So we thought it would be fun and eye-opening, well, maybe less fun and more eye-opening to look at some of the top films of 2018 and see if they reflect shame. Do they even acknowledge it in the characters, in the plot, in the the storyline? Is it an open antagonist? Uh, and, and obviously, in a lot of the movies we've talked about, it's the key in antagonist in some of them. Or is it a silent killer? Um, if so, is there something that diminishes the shame or makes it worse? Don't get me wrong. I'm not picking on these eight films because I believe they're exaggerating shame more than the others that were released in 2018. Not at all. I am suggesting, though, that they are to one degree or another top films because they mirror the very same shame that you and I feel every day. We get it. We get the characters. They're believable, right? So this podcast looks at two films nominated for Best Picture that we haven't talked about yet. They both deal with racism and fractured shame cultures, particularly the 60s and 70s uh, in the United States. The Green Book and Black Klansman. The Green Book has five Academy nominations, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Best Editing. Black Klansman has six, including Best Picture. The Green Book is a historic-based story of one of a little-known episodes in the civil rights movement in the 60s. A brilliant 
black musician, in fact, a world-class, classically trained pianist, Dr. Don Shirley, heroically takes a music tour through the deep, uh, entrenched racist South. And that, honestly, come on, culturally, it just was not prepared to give him the respect that he was due. Nevertheless, he is willing, heroically, to risk his life and career to show audiences in the segregated South, among other things, that black artists are as capable as white artists and that they deserve equal respect. But it's also a, an unlikely bro film. I think that's one of the more in, intriguing and fun aspects of the movie. Rolling Stone calls it an odd couple dramedy, <laughs> which, which I really like, right? That makes it a feel-good movie. It could be portrayed as a story of how two very unlikely men become friends through harrowing episodes. Don chooses a loud mouth, Italian bouncer, strongman, Tony Lip, really played well by Viggo Mortensen to be a chauffeur and bodyguard for this, for this trip. But for our purposes, we will take a look how shame is one of the key driving narratives, uh, key narrative drivers of the story. To be black in the early 60s was to be exposed to the ugliest of shame and shaming, right? We know that. Even for men as accomplished as Dr. Shirley, time and time again, you would experience shut doors or those critical looks, I mean, even in New York, that communicate that it doesn't matter what you do, you're not good enough because of who you are. And that's shame. Uh, and that's, by the way, cultural shame. I would suggest that in addition to uh, Dr. Shirley's heroic motivations, trying to work out racial equality through music, I would also say that Dr. Shirley is motivated to risk his life and career to get rid of shame's nasty accusing voice in his own head. And this is not weakness or evil. There's no judgment. It's just human. It's not a black or white issue. Something inside of his brain, after having been shamed so many times in his life, is saying, I'll show them all of those people who held me down, who didn't recognize what I could do or what I could be. I'll show the world that I'm valuable, too. I'm a black man, and I'm as talented and successful as any white person, and I'll show myself, too. Right? And you, you'll, you get a sense of that character's uh, quickness to trigger and, 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 and go into anger. And again, do not hear me as being judgmental. I'm just saying that's very human. I'm just observing that. I would have done the same thing. Arguably, we can see signs of shame early on in the film as he meets Tony Lip while sitting on, an, of all things, an African tribal throne. I mean, look, not even a subtle uh, message of contempt or attempt to prove oneself worth and superiority, right? It's, you know, it's kind of like... I'm bigger than you, me, Tarzan, you, Jane sort of feel. And clearly, it was unnecessary. His resume speaks for itself, but he needed a prop. Shame. As a journey limps along, particularly the beginning, um, the doctor's innate shame, I would suggest, takes on a critical judgmental facade as he treats Tony with really unnecessary com contempt and disrespect. Dr. Shirley is not a happy person. He's just not. Another telltale of shame's disintegration of our joy and happiness and relationships, right? Well, back to Kurt Thompson. This is what he says about the shearing. I like that. It feels right. That shearing that happens when a person is blindsided by shame. And again, not a black or white thing. This is a human thing. It's a bit of a long quote, and if you've seen the film, you'll get it. I'm putting the entire quote in the blog on my website so you can, you can check it out, www.gospel-app.com. Here we go. Quote, 
When an individual, relationship, or community is touched by shame, the mind moves towards a more disintegrated state. Sensations, images, feelings, thoughts, behaviors have a more difficult time flowing as a coherent whole. The prefrontal cortex cannot easily bring together the various functions of the mind, which are kept separated by the dividing energy of shame. In the same way that a destructive weather system, such as a tornado, hurricane, or flood, disrupts the connected infrastructure of power supply and people, so shame does to the mind and relationships. For instance, when I experience shame, I find it virtually impossible to turn my attention to something other than what I am feeling. I can become overwhelmed with the activity of my brainstem and my prefrontal cortex goes offline. I am not able to think coherently, and my logical thought processes, which usually help me make good choices, are unavailable to regulate my right brain from which all of the emotion is pouring, unquote. You get the idea, right? And so you see characters in the movies, uh, both Black Klansmen and the Green Book, who are doing things that you know they wouldn't do uh, when shame wasn't in, in charge. Things they say, right? And again, no judgment. We all do it. Back to Thompson, quote, Furthermore, my memory is inundated with old, implicit network activity, recollections of other times that I've felt this, and I'm unable to marshal the necessary memories of strength and confidence I desperately need at the moment. Shame is overtaking me. I then begin to construct a narrative that predicts a bleak and pessimistic future. I'm unable to tell the whole story, certainly not one in which I'm loved by God unconditionally, and life in the end will be okay. My state of mind is fully disrupted, and transitioning back to one of coherence and peacefulness requires enormous effort. I can only see myself as being intolerable to others, and I sense the impossibility that this feeling will ever end, close quote. So, so you can see the irony where, where the doctor is acting intolerable to others because he has been acted to the same way. Uh, I mean, it's, it's tragic and ironic. And again, no judgment. This is human. It's not a white or black thing. Um, and I'm not taking anybody off the hook. I'm just saying and observing the cycle that this kicks into and spirals. Okay. Um, back, back to Thompson. This process of disintegration, therefore, follows a predictable, inevitable trajectory, one that begins with separation and ends in the hell of utter isolation. It begins with physically turning away, which takes place upon shame's activation, in the same way that we turn our gaze down and away so as to not see anyone seeing us, so also different functional parts of the mind turn away, so to speak, and are disintegrated from other functioning parts. Certainly with minor incidents, we sense little in the way of disintegration, but with overly toxic events, it can feel as if we are literally going out of our minds, close quote. And, and you know, the, doesn't that explain how, how the different races have been treating each other, how the whites have been treating the blacks uh, for generations, right? It, it doesn't make any sense, and particularly Christians. Um, okay. Quote, this movement towards virtual infinite separation is our desperate attempt to de-escalate the awful emotional sensation that we are enduring at the moment. For instance, in turning our gaze and body away from someone, we seek as expeditiously as possible to reduce the acute 
deeply painful feeling of being exposed. We're not aware that we simultaneously reinforce the deeply felt notion that we are in fact shameful. With disintegration and isolation comes another feature of shame that we don't at first recognize. When our shame appears, especially in malignant forms, we are often driven to a felt sense of stasis. Our mind feels incapable of thinking. We may feel literally, physically frozen in place when experiencing extreme humiliation. And if we are able to move, we feel like going somewhere we can hide and remain hidden without returning to engage others. This general this general idea that shame leads the world ultimately to a point of paralysis vis-a-vis the movement that is required for creative engagement. Close quote. Right? Uh, isolation, loneliness, um, uh, avoidance, hiding. Right? We all do it, and it's clear in, the, in both movies. And so, um, look, it's not going to surprise anybody now that we've been wrestling with shame for so long. A deeply dug shame culture is impenetrable by reason or compromise. It's it's so emotive. Shame's done its disintegrating work, and now it just be, continues to spiral, kind of on its own. And don't get me wrong, again, I'm not letting anyone off the hook. We are accountable for our actions and choices. The bar is that we're, we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and love others regardless of skin color in the same manner. Shame works against us deep in our subconscious. If we want real lasting healing, honor, or freedom for all who who are treated with contempt, prejudice, and abuse, it's going to require a miracle from God and muscle groups from him that we just don't have. Uh, If you've seen the film, you probably can recognize shame's role in the lives of every one of the characters. Again, no judgment. It's not a black or white thing. This is a human thing in a broken world. As said in previous podcasts, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only real power that can disintegrate shame in our being and therefore can begin to disintegrate racism and can begin to heal those people that have been beat up for so long. Right? How else can they get paid back and be made whole? So we can commit to changing ourselves and should. We can legislate change and should. We can get counseling and definitely should. But none of those things is more powerful than our deeply entrenched and rooted shame. Does that make sense? The gospel is that powerful, though. So if you want to know more about how to preach the gospel to your shame, check out the website, www.gospel-app.com. We created prayer cards to help us out. Uh, We need to develop new habits. On the prayer cards in particular are for preaching the gospel to yourself prayers. And the idea is that if we said these aloud uh, to ourselves, to God, twice a day for 30 days, 60 days, we can begin to create a gospel habit in our brains, uh, something repetitive, that would drive us to ask for God's power to work against our shame, guilt, relational attachment wounds, and addictions that are deep, deep, deep in our subconscious, in our inner being. Prayers have helped many people, and you can order them uh, at the website. I will put the link on the blog uh, on the gospel-app.com website. Here, here is the preaching the gospel to your shame and guilt prayer. And just listen and imagine yourself saying this twice a day for 30 days. God, my shame and guilt are pretty deeply rooted. I messed up again. I am a mess. What's wrong with me? I don't feel right. I've given you a thousand reasons to be disappointed or to turn your back on me. However, 2,000 years ago, you poured out your anger and justice and disappointment and criticism upon Jesus, your own son, in my place. So now you can't be critical of me or disappointed in me ever again. 
make me really get that in my head and heart so that my guilt has less power over me right now. I see again that Jesus' record of doing everything right is now, for some crazy reason, put into my biography, my resume, and everything his life earned. Heaven, eternal life, your love forever. You can't ever love me more than you do, as much as you love your son and he loves you. You can't love me any less, ever. You have to like me no matter what I did or didn't do last week, no matter what I suspect that others feel toward me. Your gaze can never be still-faced towards me. It may feel like it, yet the messiness is on my end, not yours. Give me power to undo my fear that I'm not lovable or likable. Give me, through the Spirit of Christ in my inner being, the power to be able to overcome my shame, guilt, and fear. Quick, before I go and mess up some other relationships, falling short of mine or others' expectations again. Simply put, make me feel loved by you. Make me see your smile and hear your voice Fill my beat-up, emptied cup now, please. Well, there it is. Twice a day, 30 days, and you'll be surprised the difference that it can make. Not perfect, that's heaven. So order some cards, set them around your house or apartment, hand them out to friends and family. Uh, And remember, twice a day, 30 days. So a brief word about our second film. I haven't said much about it. This, This cultural disintegration is clearly evident in Black Klansmen as well. Uh, So for now, I'm I'm just going to say ditto to all of the above. Um, Shame meter for both is, uh, i got to say, nine plus. I mean, what else could be said about an entire culture that has been so entrenched historically in this disintegration of relationships and people groups? It's spiraling out of control. It has been for generations, so much so that real people, image bearers of God, are treated so poorly by other image bearers of God. And again, no judgment, me too. Um, it's a problem. You know, I need the gospel. 30 years later, after both films, uh, the, the calendar, we still need the Spirit to daily break into the lives of Jesus followers like me, powerfully, noticeably, until there is a deeper awareness and repentance of the many crimes committed against so many people of color and sex. So, Oscar nods. All right, you caught me guilty, I confess. I mean, I have clearly dissed black clansmen in this podcast. Uh, you know, I'm I, honestly, I'm just barely giving it even a passing notice because I have to because it's in the list. Because honestly, I don't think it deserves to be there artistically. In my opinion, I expected so much more from Spike Lee. This is nowhere near his best work. I mean, if this is a body of work award, okay, I, I can accept that. But on its own merit, I just don't think this movie was that well done. Um, not even in the same ballpark as as some of his other work or some of the other candidates. And I'm surprised it was giving, given uh, an Oscar notice at, at all, except for musical score, which it might win. But I don't even think it will win that, honestly. I had high expectations, and I'm disappointed. That's my opinion. And you know what? On Oscar night, I could be proven very wrong. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, the Green Book was amazing, insightful, great acting, great directing. I liked it all. It could easily win Best Picture. In fact, I believe it will give the artistic darling Roma a real run for its money. Mahershala Ali will pick up the best actor unless Bradley Cooper sneaks in, and both are worthy. And I would say this is one of Viggo Mortensen's best roles in a long time, worth seeing a couple of times. Well, uh, 
Keep in touch with Gospel Rant. We'll be doing some other things. Uh, next month, we're going to be looking at the Enneagram and what that means to us. And we'll look at each of the nine numbers and learn how to preach the gospel to, to people who are Enneagrams 1 and 4 and 5 and 9. It should be a lot of fun. Until then, take heart, child of God. Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.